Hey everyone, just to give some context on the timing of this episode, uh, I'm a little late than usual. Right now it is 9 o'clock on the dot, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter reported at 8.51pm that Daredevil has been cancelled. So my apologies that this episode, that this following uh, article read and following episode will sound like an accidental eulogy. Anyway, despite the unfortunate news for Daredevil fans, I hope you enjoy the episode anyway. Every mass shooting, wildfire, and other various tragedies has become still to push notifications on phones and headlines on cable news. I felt a certain guilt for an increasing indifference as the bad news has increased in volume. But I felt this even more so when the news finally reached to me personally. The Tree of Life shooting in Pittsburgh set something off in me as I went to school mere miles away from there and I visited Squirrel Hill for leisure and errands regularly. I felt sorrowful and uneasy knowing that such a nefarious act was committed in an area that I once considered to practically be my backyard. It had an eerie and troubling effect on a piece of media that I treasured, as only a couple weeks before this real-life tragedy, Netflix released Season 3 of Daredevil, which prominently featured a chilling scene of a fatal attack on a place of worship. What that television show did might not necessarily be bad taste, as it was released before the real-life analogous event occurred. It isn't exactly the same situation where the Las Vegas shooting prevented the apparently planned early release of The Punisher, or Paramount executives scurrying and attempting to release their Heather's television reboot in piecemeal, attempting to slip their tone-deaf program in between real-life tragedies. Still, the proximity and date alone puts a shroud over Daredevil in my eyes, and a rewatch is impossible for me without associating it with the act of hate and domestic terrorism that happened in a city I love. I eventually thought back to the words of Eric Olson, the showrunner of Daredevil's third season. I attended the Daredevil New York Comic Con panel, where Olson presented his thesis statement for season three. It would be about combating fear and the narcissistic tyrants that weaponize it. The Tree of Life shooting is not the only recent news event that could be analogous to events in a show, and none of these were unfortunate coincidences. These were by the show's design. Daredevil Season 3 tapped into our real-life fears and anxieties, and like practically all superhero fiction, it presented a fantastical story where those fears were conquered. To anyone at that NYCC panel with their finger on the pulse, it was obvious just what or who, Olsen was referring to. Wilson Fisk, finally embracing the role and appearance of the Kingpin, is our narcissistic tyrant. At its bare bones, Fisk's plan to cultivate a culture of fear isn't far from how real-life tyrants do so. Despite the general public knowledge of his misdeeds, even garnering chance of lock him up outside his lavish New York penthouse, Kingpin is able to obtain the trust of the common citizens. Fisk's apparent ace in the hole is a fake daredevil, with a skilled FBI agent that Fisk himself corrupted into donning the red-horned costume. 
with this terrorizing Daredevil imposter, Fisk creates a new public enemy for all to fear, projecting an image of power and safety that only he can provide. And the imposter in question, Agent Poindexter, is a troubled man with psychopathic tendencies and a desire to learn about empathy. Found in a vulnerable position, Dex is manipulated and deceived to enact Fisk's plan of wide-scale gaslighting. And as we find out later in the season, Fisk's corruption and manipulation of institutions such as the FBI has reached an absurd point. No character in Daredevil Season 3 can better personify this than Agent Ray Nadim. In a period of time where many of the public are less trustful of law enforcement officials and the institutions that enable and protect them, it may be harder to swallow more idealistic portrayals of them in fiction. Not everyone is Special Agent Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks or the lovable bunch in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But there is something captivating about Nadim's own troubles and anxiety that brought him down to a more grounded level. His anxiety was more economically based, as a result of covering his sister-in-law's healthcare coverage. Seeing a struggling suburban Indian-American family just barely making it was instantly more tangible than the more lavish, romanticized views of such law enforcement officials on television. I don't believe that anyone in this season had it harder than Deem. He is torn between his duty to provide for his family, his own moral ethical code, his loyalty to his agency, his friendship with Dex, his desperation to fight through the bureaucracy denying him a larger paycheck, and so many other forces that are in play. By the end of his plight, Nadim leaves a mixed legacy. While he was complicit in many of Fisk's crimes, he was also key to bringing the whole operation down. In a season where FBI agents are shown to be corrupt in a cartoonish fashion through a boardroom scene, Nadim being the only one with an apparent conscience gives slight not-all-cops vibes, while at the same time being truly reflective of the hidden fears and anxieties even within the upper middle class that can be exploited by bad actors. Let's rewind back to the point in which the paths of Matt Murdock, Dex, and Nadim all converged in a manner orchestrated by Fisk. There is something powerful and faithful about the first meeting of the two Daredevils halfway through the season. Both characters have individually gone through radically different journeys of self-exploration, and the class between the two was like a chemical explosion. While I reveled in the creativity of the choreography and the display of Dex's ability, when the New York Comic Con panel showed off the Bolton fight sequence, something seeped into my head on my repeat viewing weeks later. I had a sinking feeling that the context of the scene, with Dex murdering New York Bolton journalists and the fight scene taking place in their office space, was meant to be a reference to another recent tragedy. It seemed to me at the time that this unselling sequence was meant to mirror the real-life June 2018 shooting at the Capitol Gazette building, home of publications the Capitol and Maryland Gazette, where five employees were killed. It was some time before writing this piece that I did my due diligence and found that production of Daredevil Season 3 ended earlier in June, a couple of weeks before the tragedy occurred. For the most part, similarities were mere coincidence. Still, anyone with their ear to the news in the United States knows fully well that this anti-journalist sentiment was alive and well before this attack. One of the more important pillars of our modern society is that of the journalist and the news publication, having the freedom to hold those in power accountable to the truth. Likewise, these bulletin reporters 
led by Karen Page, were working on a piece that would have shed light into Wilson Fisk's fragile situation. Fisk nailed two birds with one stone, dispatching of the opposition, while also creating his false public enemy. As with the aforementioned church attack in the show, the timing between the show's premiere date and real-life events yet again produced an unusual effect. Another pillar of her society, one based on worship and faith, was under attack by violent forces. While these fictional and real events have no direct relationship, this frightening sequence was certainly based on a real attitude of intolerance that has been pervasive for the longest time. The context and scenario are different from reality, but the imagery remains the same to recall such real-life fears and anxieties. Our main characters of Matt Murdock, Foggy Nelson, and Karen Page eventually get to a point where they must decide how to solve this impossible dilemma. The idealistic Foggy still firmly believed in the United States justice system, while a weary Matt believes that his vigilantism is the only solution. In real life, the justice system has been exploited, abused, corrupted, and has overall acted as a counter in favor of bad actors. I remained unsure of which method the show was advocating for. In the end, it seemed to favor a one-two punch combination. If anyone is looking towards fantasy for solutions to real-life problems, they will find themselves sorely mistaken. Our current problems with combating cynicism, authoritarianism, and other negative forces will not be solved by two macho guys mercilessly punching each other in the face. While nothing will convince me that all art and media isn't political, I will concede that entertainment such as Daredevil is meant to be escapism. I would argue, however, that the concept of escapism is grossly understood. Not all escapist fiction is meant to completely take you away from the clear and present societal and personal anxieties. Rather, much of it is meant to take you to a place where those fears and anxieties can be confronted and defeated in a fantastical way. Maybe it's with a sword and shield, super strength, or the ability to fly. This is the fantasy that superhero fiction is able to provide. Daredevil Season 3 will obviously not solve any of our real-life problems, but it demonstrates that something as fantastical as the MCU can be very powerful by recalling realistic imagery and sentiments. In a society where people are fearful to live their regular lives under the threat of violence, however real or false that threat may be, and with bad actors exploiting that very fear, we need a fantasy like Daredevil. Season 3 is all about how he earned the famous moniker, The Man Without Fear. Daredevil may not be able to save us in real life, but perhaps for some people, he can inspire them to be just as fearless. Hello everyone, uh, this is Chris Compendio from AP Marvel. You're listening to episode 26, can you believe it? That is halfway to 52, now that I think about it. Um, so, uh, with me, I got our usual, uh, I got the same crew from our Luke Cage, Iron Fist, R.I.P. episode. I got Thomas Rasmussen. Uh, Thank you, Chris. Right Thank doing, you. Doing your laundry again, right? I, I'm actually pretty much done with the laundry. The, uh, okay, well, the pre-show that's... questions took a long time. That would have been a nice constant, so way to jinx us. Um, well, I, I mean, I can do, like, the socks if, you, if you're really concerned. Uh, yeah, you better. No, uh, I, I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sabrina Clark, what's up? Hey, hey, what's up, guys? 
nothing much. We were talking about a Netflix show that still, as far as we know, exists, unlike last time. Um, hashtag renew Daredevil, They're I guess. Gonna, I don't know. I don't know what the official... It, right? Hashtag uh, renew Jessica Jones? Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, they still have a third season coming out soon, but uh, but we were talking about Daredevil today. Um, so yeah, uh, we you should have just heard a an article read for uh, as of this recording. This, the article itself is not actually finished, so let's just assume that uh, I did everything correctly and there is an article read before this episode. Uh, but yeah, Daredevil season three came out I think mid October. So that was like what the nineteenth, I want to say, and uh, it seems like everyone just kind of got through it pretty pretty slowly. Uh, I myself finished it like the day after because I already had the first six episodes um, uh, for screening. Uh, so it's a little late, but I think because Netflix releases everything at once, that's just the way people digest Netflix shows. So I'm wondering, y'all. Uh, Thomas, start, we'll start with you. What do you think about Daredevil Season 3? Uh, well, I was a little slow to start Daredevil Season 3. I think I started it like three weeks in, and this, as soon as I finished like two episodes, I was completely hooked. Um, it was absolutely fantastic. It was everything I wanted from a Daredevil season, which is very specific, but they nailed it. Um, and I... I Binge the show over the course of I think three days. Um, it was it was good stuff. Uh, you may notice in between that I am like taking bites of uh, <laughs> my dinner yes. as I ask these two questions. McDonald's ASMR. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> these are some glazed honey barbecue chicken tenders. Wow, quite Ooh, good actually. Baby. Some uh, unpaid product placement right there. Uh, Sabrina, as I continue to eat this one, Chicken Tender, um, mm-hmm. tell me your general thoughts on Daredevil Season 3. I agree with everything Thomas said. I, uh, I know that there was talk of Season 3 being, quote, the best season they've ever done, and I honestly can confirm that uh, it is indeed the best season they've ever done. I think, just as Thomas said, it checked all of the boxes that I had, or all of the questions that, um, or the stones that I felt were still unturned from Season 1. And it also really refines the storyline, makes it kind of like one thread so that the things that the the other storylines, the B plots that sort of thread off of that um, have a place to be grounded. So I really enjoyed that as well. Um, And I'm really, really impressed. And I'm really excited to see what they're going to do. I think Eric Olson um, was also a good choice because... I feel like he just he took what season one set up and elevated it. So, yeah, Eric Olson, I believe uh, his previous work involved being on the staff of I think Arrow, if I remember correctly. Uh, but yeah, he seemed to um, just from my, yeah, I went to New York Comic Con and I heard him speak about his ideas for the show, and he seemed like to have a really good grasp on the material and really focusing on the you know the man without fear title of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Uh, weirdly enough, it felt like it felt like a uh, almost like a correction from season two. Not that season two was like awful or anything like that, but like I don't think people uh, are as fond as that of that as season one. Um, you know, season two to me was like the one with a lot of ninjas, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it tried to kind of have a. And you know, season one had like a lot of uh, had a mix of like 
a, a little bit of hand stuff, planting the seeds for that, but a lot of it was just this kind of, um, uh, this progression of Matt Murdock as Daredevil, like, becoming Daredevil, first of all, but, like, um, getting to, it's almost like a video game where, like, Wilson Fisk is the final boss, uh, and to see... To see, to see Fisk as the main bad guy again, and to see Matt Murdock in the black Daredevil suit again, mm-hmm. it felt like this weird... I, I hesitate to use the word nostalgic, because it was just a couple years ago, but, like, nostalgic throwback to season one. <laughs> like, hey, oh, yeah, yeah, but this is the stuff you like, right? You know, yeah. so we're getting back to that. No ninjas, just, like, pure Remember crime that. stuff. Uh, Fisk is in the white suits, because uh-huh. he's Kingpin. Um, I I felt like season three was very much a spiritual successor to season one. I'm glad that there was stuff in between because it, it did feel like um, for the characters, season one felt like ancient history that came back. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm glad it was not a literal, you know, season two, but uh, it was a fantastic sequel to season one. Um, and they played with those concepts really, really well. I feel like they're always trying to top that hallway fight scene from season one. <laughs> Yeah. I um so perpetually. I think that they actually I I feel like in in bringing that up it it's important to take a look at the things that they tried to redo or and or fix and the things that they kind of just let sit because they realized that they weren't they didn't really need to need need to be either augmented or like built on. Um, but for one of those, one, I feel like action has been something through all three seasons that has been consistent, but there's something about season three that just gave us another taste. It was more, I feel like it was more raw and like more, more visceral because, you know, as I, I was telling, I was telling them before the episode started that, uh, I was watching, I was rewatching that epic long fight scene Um, in the prison in episode four because I feel like for me when you think about hallway scene um, I feel like this is the kind of redo or the topping or the the version that I also wanted to see so it's nice to have not only the original but like what I'm gonna call the second attempt and um, it was incredibly successful and really 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 captivating yeah um and they, they kind of tried to do a thing in season two with, um, it, it was episode two when they're at the, the top of the building with Frank Castle. Yeah. And they're trying to, like, get out and, like, get through the, like, fight through the, the well, I mean, just the stairwell. The stairway. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, the dogs of hell and Frank Castle was unconscious on an elevator. <laughs> um, Is that the one where he had a gun taped to his hand? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He had He had a chain on him because he was chained up by Frank Castle so he starts like oh my God. whipping I'm so sorry the fire alarm went off in my building <laughs> that's yeah. that's awful well I mean that will give me a break to uh, eat Duck some chicken tape. so yeah um, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna put the computer down and deal with it it's, mm-hmm. it's been going off falsely like all the time so I'm not gonna evacuate this is exciting very sorry okay be back mhm what were we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about the, uh, the fight scenes. Action? Yeah, action. Okay, um, yeah. Season two had the the hall the their hallway fight scene with the when he was going down the staircase, and he was using a chain as like a whip 
and kind of whipping the lights above him, which I thought was kind of a cool effect. Oh yeah. Um, and he was like, like. He was, like, whipping people, and, like, it would, like, tie around their neck, and he would pull them down, and they would fall down the stairs, and I'm like, oh, that guy is probably not dead, but is probably, like, <laughs> horribly, horribly up. injured, yeah. Um, I just saw a satirical uh, post from uh, Hard Drive that was, like, um, Gotham General um, uh, um, asks Batman if he can just start killing people. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, but in, in that one, you can kind of, um, you can, you can see the cuts. Um. Yeah. You can see the, uh, the camera cuts, whereas, like, the season three prison scene, like, that I was counted. all, that was all one continuous cut. Yeah. I counted, when, when I was watching this scene before, I counted the number of cuts before, like, in the, um, in the little exam room compared to in that whole one shot and it's hold on wait 5 10 15 20 20 27 cuts in that like little two minute spat there that's happening in the exam room and then literally one shot you have you like when matt gets off the phone he puts the phone down he makes that face that's like god damn it we have to do this and that's it and it was just fantastic so captivating yeah um However, I'm in the minority here because Ooh. I felt that while it was a technically impressive scene, uh-huh. I felt that the emotional stakes were not as high as the 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 OG hallway fight scene, let's call it, because... I, I, okay. I agree. Fair. Um, I also felt that way. This is, yeah. this is the literal truth because, yeah. I mean, like... Yes. So let let's let's like kind of refresh what happened in season one. It was kind of this um, um, backstory heavy episode. It was episode two of season one, and it went uh, it went a lot about like his um, his childhood and his relationship with his father and how um, you know how his father's pride kind of ultimately led to his demise and. Um, it, the, the whole, the hallway fight scene came at the very end of the episode. It was this, uh, kind of, it was kind of a build up to, um, it, Matt is saving a child, right? He's saving, like, right. I forget who, like, whose son this, this dude is, but, um, but Matt Murdock is, like, had, like, has all this emotional baggage, like, from, from being a child, and now he himself is, he is, like, saving a child, um, in this very, like, in this very simple, kind of 3D old boy kind of way, like, because it's behind the back instead of, like, from the side, but literally the hallway looks the same. I think even, like, the same hallway wall pattern was in the season three prison, uh, that's a little detail, but, um, yeah, season three, the, the prison fights, you know, it just seems like, um, um, it, Matt Murag was trying to get out of the building. He was trying to physically right. get out somewhere, mm-hmm. and you know you can you can say that like it it definitely um, showed how desperate he was, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is a really interesting character thing. But I just me personally, I was not feeling it as much. And some people I talked to about this felt differently. So I'm wondering what you guys felt, Thomas. Yeah, um, no, I, I definitely get you that 
I thought that the fight scene was constructed, like, in the prison was constructed very much like an epic video game fight. Because um, he sort of goes from, like, Kingpin's thugs, which are, I don't know, like a, an enemy you, you very much expect him to defeat without too much difficulty, even with the element of surprise. Um, um, and then uh, he moves to, like, prison guards that are, like, geared up in their riot gear, and it's, like, the elite enemies and, like, all of this. Um, and, like, that is cool. The construction of the scheme is cool. But, um, like, in the original Hallway fight, like, you could very easily see an episode of TV where the, the child, like, died or he failed to save the kid. Um, it... As viewers, we sort of know, like, the main character of the season is not going to die in the fourth episode of the season. So it's like, will Matt make it out? Like, will Matt survive? Yeah, yes, he's uh-huh. going to do those things. Um, so uh, it was cool to watch, but it was not engaging because I didn't feel that strongly. By contrast, the uh, attack on the um, newspaper office... Um, where Matt runs in to fight um, other Daredevil, um, that scene did have this emotional weight to it because it was it was partially it could have been to like try and save this um, witness that would have put Fisk in prison, um, but it, what it sort of ended up being was um, he didn't know whether he was trying to save him or avenge him. He just knew, you know, something something bad would happen if he let this guy get out and so you have this really incredible fight between um him and bullseye where both of their sort of unique abilities are very very well played on display with this strong emotional stake of like you really feel like these are two incredibly talented combatants like put at odds to each other um in very strong ways so that scene i felt gripped me much stronger than the prison fight scene um, and in general, I thought this season did a lot better of Daredevil versus, like, talented single opponents rather mm, than, like, yeah. gangs of people, which was a very well just... change. Um, I mean, if you look at, like, season one, him fighting Kingpin, um, I mean, you didn't really think for very much time that he would, like, struggle to defeat Kingpin in, in single combat. Kingpin's thing was influence and money and whatever not. I mean, he was strong, but nobody thought, like oh no, will the best fighter New York has ever seen fail against a large man? <laughs> um, but they they did a much better job this time. And I think that they rectified that in the finale as well because he wasn't just fighting Kingpin, he was fighting Bullseye at the same time uh-huh. to prevent him from king- killing Kingpin. So, I mean, it was this beautiful illustration of Matt like fighting his enemy but also fighting his inner demon. Yeah. I feel like... I, I feel like sort of circling back to the to that prison scene, um, the reason why maybe it didn't have that emotional aspect was kind of because we are seeing Matt at a very desperate point. Like, he is, in the episode, very desperately trying to find some piece of information that could help him prove that Fisk is dirty. And in doing so, he keeps coming up with these roadblocks like every episode leading up to episode four he is running into roadblocks and people telling him you need to get give it up you need to let it go just heal move on and that whole exchange in the in the prison was him constantly having to get uh knocked down by somebody else and everybody like all these different people like stages i guess yeah stages of bosses coming in and trying to 
to knock him down. So for me, I feel like I, I also didn't really feel the emotional aspect, but I feel like we didn't need to. In some ways, I found myself a little bit frustrated with Matt, where it was like, all right, dude, why can't you just see that? It's time for you to move on. And because he didn't want to accept this, we as an audience were forced to go along with that ride. We were forced to watch Matt make these decisions that pissed off his family, which is, I guess it is a constant across the entire series, but making decisions that make his uh, friends and family quite upset or put him in very precarious positions just all in the name of justice. And I feel like a really cool effect, so I mentioned when Matt puts the phone down just before um, Fisk hangs up on him. And in that moment, it's sort of like, why can't you see that this is, that Fisk has the upper hand and it's time for you to give up or you will get killed. Um, and then that scene towards the end where he's in the, in the end of the season where he's fighting Bullseye and Kingpin is sort of like a more, yeah, more emotional, but a more, uh, poetic end to that. So I feel like that was, um, Definitely, yeah, I would agree that it is much more emotional at the end there. Yeah, still definitely, definitely impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way everything was blocked, and, you know, I, I'm pretty sure there was some stunt double in there. I, probably Chris Brewster as a stunt double, but, like, you can see, like, when um, there are some parts you can't see his face, and sometimes he might, like, hide behind that ch- Like, he might fall down behind that chair in mm-hmm. the, uh, the in, in that uh, ex- examination room, and then Charlie Cox is the one crawling out, like, all bloody. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, yeah I, I see what you're doing here. Uh, but yeah, a lot of it seemed to be actually Charlie Cox. And, um, you know, get, like, by the time it, it gets larger scale when they're when they're progressing through the prison, like, he and his and his buddy who was helping him out in the right here. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you enter into a room and then suddenly there were just, like, more dudes and, uh, you know people throwing each other around and, and you know, one guard getting shanked <laughs> to death by a prison, by a prisoner. Uh, they try to go through one entrance and then, like, there's an explosion. So, like, no, we can't go through there. They try to go through another entrance and then you see all the way in the background there's, like, so, 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 so many dudes there that they just can't and just seeing, like, the escalation until they... Uh, until they go- and then, so... Uh, what they they make it outside and you just kind of see like this, uh, I guess this attempt at a spectacle. Like there is like the uh, there are like sirens going off and you see, um, stuntmen fighting each other on the prison grounds and yeah. yeah. Um, I I, I recently rewatched the Raid Two and there was a massive prison riot scene and I was like, okay, I know Daredevil can't be the Raid Two, but like, <laughs> come on, just get a couple more extras, like, dirty it up a little bit, you know, like. But I was like, okay, this is still pretty cool. Like, like Matt Murrell can barely walk, and right. there's like there's like tear gas and like smoke everywhere, and it's like, okay, yeah, this is this works. Like for a TV budget, this is fine. Yeah. Um. So definitely, maybe not emotionally. In bit, like you know, uh, we might not be as invested, but still impressive technically for sure. Um, uh, you, uh, you were you guys were talking about the uh newspaper fight scene, yeah, and uh-huh. I watched that scene in a crowd at New York Comic Con, that was wow. one of the scenes they showed. So, um, like, like the, like the gasps when he caught 
bullseye like his his weapon before it hit foggy uh was was really satisfying to hear um and the the thing that makes it such uh a prominent scene is that it is the first time they meet each other um so you kind of the show has been like separately following their own journeys and to see them like collide is like this really intense thing i feel yeah um not to imagine just the creativity of like just like hearing people like laugh and gasp like whenever he like ricocheted stuff off or like that one time when like he's he's mid jump over a table over a desk and then he gets hit in the face with a stapler and then just falls <laughs> straight down which is it was like it was it was fun and like <laughs> yeah. yet like white knuckling stressful the entire time yeah yeah i don't know how that combination was possible but it i first felt that feeling during that fight yeah and then uh we were talking about how raw and visceral the action was and then i mean like you can sum up that last fight scene in the last episode with like dudes punching each other and also screaming <laughs> like there's a lot of screaming in this, shit this season like, it's literally a plot point where like this because he just tells Dex like Dex like hey just just yell <laughs> um and that's exactly like, there i love this uh uh twitter account it's like daredevil out of context mm-hmm. and they usually like put you know phrases or words out of context but uh, my favorite tweet from that is just um, Matt and Fisk just yelling at each other, and like the caption says, "like yelling," <laughs> and you see the uh, you see the painting in the background is just like splattered with blood. Uh, and then there was also another tweet that was like Fisk saying to Vanessa, um, "This is one of the happiest days of my life," and but meanwhile he's like covered in his own blood. <laughs> uh... Yeah, do do we want to talk about Fisk or Matt first in terms of their character arcs? I'm done for Matt. I think we the yeah. show started with Matt, so I'd love yeah. to do the same. Yeah, Matt's good. Let's start with him. That's good. Yeah. Wow. Why is Matt good? Because he's so he's so <laughs> so stubborn. Mm. Um, it's really funny because one of the one of our students this semester. Shout out to Layla. She hates Matt Murdock because he's so stubborn. And I feel like this season is any reason as any to really be anti-Matt Murdock because of how, how, how much he's driving his own plan forward, regardless of what anyone has to say. And I feel like it's that decision and the fact that the writers chose to stick with that attribute and that personality trait of his that allows the audience to watch him overcome all of his issues, which I think makes things more interesting. And I think it also made um, it made his relationship with Maggie before we find out who she is um, a little bit more interesting to me and kind of a little bit more endearing. So He's an angsty boy. I, I did actually like their relationship without the mother part better yeah same because i i thought it was just nicer to contrast someone who is sort of cranky yet like completely patient and devoted to doing god's work Mm -hmm. sort of like contrast with matt like cranky also stubborn and cranky but um very like doing his own work in a sense doing what his own moral compass tells him rather than what his faith tells him um, I thought that that contrast was really good. And then the whole family drama was, um, like, I, I felt like it felt very flat. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it was hard for me to separate that because I knew going in that she was the mother in the comics. Mm. Um, so I kind of always had that in the back of my head, and for a while I was like, wait, are they going to change this in the comics? And then eventually I was like, oh, wait, no, okay, yeah, when they revealed, when they did the reveal. Um, yeah, that reveal. Well, you know what I thought they were going to do is, because I, I knew um, in the the, Dare, the Defenders, like, teaser um, to make sure we didn't actually have emotional stakes in his death. Um, they like showed us that Matt had like woken up and they called for Sister Maggie. And I remember reading online that that was supposed to be his mom. I was like, all right. And then they did this whole thing where like he, after his parents, after his dad died, um, like went to the orphanage and she like quote unquote raised him. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, oh, that's sort of the take they're making. You know, she's not his literal mother, but she is, you know, the one who, who raised him and an important you know, figure in his life and blah, blah, blah. And I was mm-hmm. fine with that. I was a hundred percent. Okay. Um, and I don't really know what story purpose the family drama served. I really liked how he, um, starts the season sort of completely a hundred percent, like doubled down on the daredevil thing. Um, <laughs> in sort of stark contrast to when he like starts uh, previous seasons, like no, I'm going to be Matt Murdock. I'm not doing Daredevil anymore. Like that's not happening. Now is the exact opposite, and we get to see what that is like, and we get to see like why that isn't an option either. So I thought that this like season was incredibly important for his character to round it out. Um, but at the same time, I I do have to agree that he sort of. Um, he came at it from like an I need to like be suffering and in pain and alone the entire time, which mm-hmm. wasn't necessary. I mean, like as dumb as it sounds, like the Daredevil persona could have friends too, like could make jokes too if he wanted to. Um, so <laughs> I, don't know. Nice I, I felt like he he went a little too deep, um, <laughs> even for him. But it was it, I think it was important to kind of. Um, in in an Iron Man three trilogy, it's sort of like, um, by by contrast to how he normally is, you got to see like why he can't just be a Daredevil all the time. The the, the idea of Daredevil cracking jokes. I'm just thinking of like J- Joel Schumacher's Daredevil, where he's just making like blind puns and like, yeah, I yeah. bet you didn't see that coming. And, <laughs> um, thank God Joel Schumacher has no say in superheroes these days, but um. Uh, I I kind of get the um the angst and the strife because he listen this dude's gone through a lot <laughs> um so I kind of get like the whole change of attitude because like he he feels like that no matter what he always has to be Daredevil like no matter how much he tries to just be Matt Murdock like it'll always call back to him because it is like his his like god-given destiny to to do this and he is just getting physically and like emotionally beaten up with uh with losing people and losing electra and um i'm trying to think of other tragedies that have happened to him but like he's just he's tired and i get it and that's why i appreciated uh sister maggie as like uh kind of a balance for him because if if you're going to have an edge lord protagonist if you're going to have like an angsty edgy dude who's just like you know um always always down on himself it's really sub- it's it's oddly subversive it seems so obvious but like not 
not enough um, shows with that kind of protagonist does this to have another character who, whenever like he says something edgy, the other person just says, "Shut up!" <laughs> like stop! Yeah. Like stop doing this! Like this is like you you were like not making sense and. You know, like, granted, it wasn't too unbearable for Matt Murdock. Like, I, I liked the Job was a pussy uh, little story there. Because um, at the same time, I was I was watching uh, Titans for a review. Mm. And let me tell you, there are no Sister Maggies in that show. So everyone else is just oh, off no. on their own, just being, oh, no. Ugh, I'm so... That's what I expected, but I'm very sad now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought the Sister Maggie family drama, I, I felt that was in there because they wanted to show that she is not perfect. Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, like, she, I, th- I think she would have been too perfect without that, uh, baggage, and, uh, while I don't think we needed to see those flashbacks, I was like, okay, yeah, sure, now I, I understand things a little better. Um, and... I, I really liked Sister Maggie in this just for that whole like You know what I liked about her as a as a supporting character? Yeah. Um she had a lot of things to say about Matt's lifestyle and like advice for him, but she never held her like help as like hostage to that. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's such a trope for supporting characters to be like like I can't help you if you won't, you know, communicate, stop doing what you're doing, like li- mm-hmm. list of demands. And she's just like, look, I'm going to help regardless. Yeah. But if I might say something while I clean off your wounds, it's, you know. Yeah. And, like, that's just a great, like, oh, she was she was awesome. Yeah. In that regard. I agree. The least annoying character, I think, a Netflix show has ever had as a supporting character. The best, I think the best supporting character for Matt Murdock, period. She just, like, serves him all of what he's giving right back and it's it's great and it's a little bit of closure for her like she has her arc as well um which i guess we could try and define but it has something to do with her um sort of still having questions about like what if she'd done things differently in the past um and sort of getting to to serve her role and i I think she sort of comes off as being um, like, oh, like, it's good that I was here to be able to help set things in motion kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know, that was my read. What do you guys think? I I pretty much agree with all... I, I didn't even think of it in that way, and that's a really good way to... Like, just how she just unequivocally, un- unequivocally and, you know, without condition, just supports him. And yeah. that's kind of where you... That's I guess that those are, like, the hints of the motherly aspects of her um i i like her a lot she's a great character yeah agreed um wilson fisk yeah as played by vincent d'onofrio uh he was uh he was kind of sidelined in season two save for a few um memorable scenes um but he is full kingpin in this one um. Mm-hmm. Okay, just the moment where, like, and the dean walks into the room full of corrupt FBI agents. Yeah. You know, we don't even say his name in here. We call him by his code name, and you knew what was coming. Yeah. Everyone watching knew it was coming. Yeah. But when she said, "Like, I 
kingpin. I was still like, I jumped out of my chair, <laughs> I put my fist in the air, and I was like, fuck, yes! Let's go! This is what this is all about. I had that reaction when he put the white suit on, actually. Okay, that's yeah. fair. It was, it I mean, was like a very delicate moment where he's like, yeah, buddy, I'm kingpin, and we're like, yeah, yeah you are! Yeah. Oh. Oh. Um, he... <laughs> my blood is still... He's so good. That he's so talented. Painting that he's so obsessed about. Like I get it. I get. It. I remember the the season one episode where they explained right. that. But like, uh, that closure yeah. was kind of weird. Yeah. Um. So wait, Dex murdered a, an old lady for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. To prove his loyalty. Now, question: uh-huh. Do you think he wore the Daredevil costume while murdering the old lady, or? I think that's like, do you think that was just him? Did he keep those personas separate? No, I think that could, he could have probably done that in the Daredevil costume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kit, let, let, let's talk about color symbolism. Uh, yeah. so, so, so white uh, symbolizes here. Uh, what, what does white symbolize? Uh, students. Purity. <laughs> So why I mean, was everything in Kingpin's penthouse white? Why was his suit white? Why was the freaking painting white? Because he's, like, trying to be God. Mm-hmm. That was the whole... And then the devil comes for him. And then punches him, and then it turns the painting red. Well, and then the part that I actually loved about this season was that, like, the way he turned Dex back on Kingpin was... Um, I think it was so much better than him defeating him on his own because um, it's really like the devil that Kingpin created, right? Mm. He shaped Uh this crazy chaotic weapon and um, sort of bit off more than he could chew. He couldn't resist having that power. Um, And the way, the way that he manipulated Dex was what was what ended up being his demise, which I think is that like, again, poetic justice, right? Where, you thought if I just kill off Julie and I replace mm-hmm. and I replace her as Dex's um, what was it North Star his sort of right, like right. guiding mm-hmm. light then maybe mm-hmm. you know he won't fall off the wagon but then the fact that she, the fact that they didn't dispose of her body really threw me like why did you just leave her in a freezer with everyone else yeah what was up with that freezer that was really yeah. bad way of doing stuff oh like, my god they literally fridged her regular degular body you know what I'm saying like she's yeah. Julie and if he if Dex finds her he could be relapsed so I feel like that was just un what's it called it was just like not it. It didn't. Professional uh, or... didn't. Yeah, it was unprofessional. Didn't finish the job, you know. Fire him. <laughs> get a new. Get a new hitman. God. True professionals. Uh, <laughs> just, True yeah. professionals know how to dispose of bodies. Yeah. Oh god. They they, they literally fridged her. Like dear dear lord. Mm-hmm. Um. But that yeah. was weird. Wait, can I take a really quick detour onto Julie? Absolutely. Um. Literally, what was happening there? Okay. It was so creepy, very strange, and I know there's like, you know, this argument of, oh, well, sometimes there are people who can't really uh, express themselves in a way that allows them to approach people, but you were stalking this girl for a really long time, instead of like, on the first time being like, oh, I know she goes to this coffee shop, you could have run into her that one time being like, oh my god, Julie, do you remember me? But just to keep tabs on her forever... And to basically do your own personal vetting of whether or not she could be your your North Star. Like, come on, Dex. Whew. Yeah, de- definitely a lot of, like, uh, displayed a lot of uh, 
you know, let's, let's say psychopathic tendencies. Right. Some of those correct sure. me, but um, sure. he, he um. I I mean the the thing that kind of um you know the, the thing that would have ruined it for me if it, if it was like this this romantic thing which I guess it wasn't right uh, feel free to disagree with that right, but right. Um, it, it wasn't ultimately it wasn't no yeah but I mean like it's it, it it was like he was looking for like a replacement for his therapist mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and even though like she like Julie is not a trained professional. Um, he, he is, you know, maybe not attracted to her per se, but attracted to her purity. Her, yeah. Purity. Yeah. Purity and definitely ability for empathy, which mm-hmm. he like, I guess is aware that he does not have and that he's striving for. Yeah. Okay. So the, the line, like that sounds hard, like as a hard, reoccurring yeah. thing in the season was such a good element to like. Because you, as the audience, knew that is not sincere. Like, that was, like, him passing for normal. Um, And it comes Mm -hmm. up so often where it works. There are so many cases in the season Mm -hmm. where people take that line and just, like, assume it to be genuine. And you just, like, it feels creepy every time. Um, And right up until, like, him in the Dean's backyard, right? He's like, that sounds hard. And you just, like... Oh, that character was so well done. That character yeah. was really well created. Um, and mm-hmm. I... It was the kind of thing where um, I thought they did a really good job of showing, like, sort of how monsters are actually born today. Oh. Um, like, the supernatural aim is obviously fictional. But the, like, psychopath, like, who's sort of on the edge of violence but has been coping with it um just like having some event that makes him snap um i was like all right this is like the most realistic villain of a netflix show in my Mm. opinion um and that made it like super creepy but it also like i don't know like julie talks to him at the bar and he has no idea what to say after all these like years of stalking her and like i laughed it was like a genuinely funny like ironic moment um but then it like feeds into this character who is um you sort of root for him to like overcome and to like figure himself out and you can see the struggle um and then fisk's person knocks on his door uh and he goes with him and he's just lost um and it's it's just such a tragic moment um that really leads to like one of like the worst like brutal monsters that are in is in this very brutal show so i thought that everything about dex was really well done i think Um, his introduction as well with the with the baseball was so eerie and it kind of just it kind of just stuck with me the whole time i was watching i was waiting for that ricochet effect of him like which is i think also what made the attack on the bulletin so powerful was that you knew that he's really good at ricocheting things off of walls and you, we were waiting for this epic culmination between the two daredevils and seeing both of them basically, well, I feel like I was going to say see both of them like max out in power, but it was more like Dex was like, nah, I do this shit for breakfast. And, <laughs> and Matt was like, oh, I've never dealt with this before. Yeah. So kind of like Matt watching that so dynamic happen. Oh, oh, man. So good. 
Dex is a uh, definitely a force to be reckoned with. Like he was, I, I I did not expect any of the things that they were going to, and I don't mean this to be a pun, but uh, that it was going to throw at us. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I don't recall the actor's uh-huh. name off the top of my head. Wilson, uh, what's his last name? But uh, he. Well, correct yourself later, but <laughs> he did a very good job um, in that in that really tough role um, because yeah, he was the most he was kind of the most realistic um, uh, villain that we know because even though even though it, you, know, you can't really sympathize with a lot of the trouble troublesome things that he was doing, you can kind of um, understand the reasoning for that at least like like the the um the desire for empathy the desire for um for validity um and it's 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 it would have worked better for me if it because we were talking about that scene where nadim walks in and they're like all of these uh all of these fbi agents who have turned and i was like okay that's a little ridiculous that there is a boardroom filled with all these dudes because you get the sense that, like, um, I got the sense that Fisk was just kind of working on this one dude, that he was working on, right. um, he was working on, what's just, on, on Dex, excuse me, and, you know, put, put a lot of, you know, kind of put all his chips in for, for this guy and to see that, like, in, like, off-screen, like, in the background, he is also, you know, maybe a different point in time, but has, like, successfully manipulated every single one of these FBI dudes to, like, basically be his own unit. Uh, I thought, I was as shocked as Nadim, honestly, because I was like, wait, this is, like, the the corruption here is just, like, cartoonish. Mm-hmm. I agree. I would have liked to see two changes though um because i love the moment of like the whole fbi basically is is gone you you cannot count on this law enforcement body um he's corrupted it away entirely um and i i wanted that to be since his house arrest he has turned to this many people right um they implied that he had like had control of the agency the whole time and like played nadim like a fiddle and and all this it'd been years and years i really wanted this to be like his ongoing effort while in house arrest was turning fbi agents and like we got to see one in or one or two in depth um but he's been this work has been continuing and i I think it would have been nice to just see like hints about it for the previous episodes just like him in like a a heads down conversation with an agent as nadim walks through Mm -hmm. or like him um passing an envelope off to like his lawyers to be like see that you apply the right pressure just like hints that he was still working in the background and you get to see the fruits of all that labor would have been great i i don't like that he was in control the entire time um because it they made it seem in season two like he was running out of money in prison like he was like on the ropes um and it it turns out he had control over all of law enforcement and could walk out at any time the scene though when his when Nadim's supervisor like shot that dude in the neck, though yeah, um, yeah. that was a big reveal. That, Ooh, yeah, that. with that, uh, are you wait, Chris? Are you referencing the scene in the kitchen? Yes. Yes. Okay. So 
for me, as soon as that scene happened, I started thinking about plastic. And any time there was plastic on the ground, remember before, like any time there was plastic yeah, in the scene, yeah, I was like, yeah. someone's about to die. Someone's about to get wrapped up. And I felt like that was a really cool incognito motif that if you were really paying attention, you would have seen it. But every uh -huh. single time someone gets offed, they get wrapped in plastic, just like Julie and that freezer filled with bodies. Yeah, all, all I thought was missing was... um. You know, if you if you watch Martin Scorsese's The Departed, every time there are like X's on screen, like whether it's yeah. like you know in like on the walls or on the floor, that means someone's about to die. And I want to say that's a tribute to a, an even older movie that I don't remember, but I was like, yeah, this I I felt stupid for not realizing the plastic thing before that poor dude got shot in the neck, but um. Yeah, that that was definitely that's definitely a thematic element. That's definitely a motif of people getting whacked and then wrapped in plastic and I guess not properly disposed of. Apparently, I didn't even think about <laughs> that when properly. we first saw it, but I was like, yeah, why did they just shove them in a fridge for? Like, what are they gonna do with them later? Um, got, watch some Breaking Bad, man. You gotta dissolve those bodies. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Come on. Um, uh, Thomas, were you gonna say something? No, I, I think we I think we nailed it on the um the so there's like this fixer character that they introduce in this season, um, and he's like very like loosely based on like the wolf from Pulp Fiction, and you know he's the guy who makes problems disappear and that kind of stuff. <laughs> sure. Um, I, I I liked his sort of setup where Karen came to him with questions, and he like it seemed like she'd ambushed him, but she sat down and he knew everything about her, including like where her family lived um and i was like okay like what a what a great addition to the kingpin arsenal of villains you know what a what a fantastic and formidable foe and i i, I mean he really he really did not hold up i don't even remember who you're talking about was it one of the lawyers or it was not one of the lawyers so this is uh um, i literally don't remember who you're talking or about. something felix 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 oh yeah so he's the one that that matt murdoch ends up like dangling off the roof <laughs> You to said get information out of not one of the lawyers. He's not one of the lawyers. He's a criminal fix-it guy. He's a cleaner. Um, and so Matt dangles him off the roof, and he like he resists for like thirty seconds, and then like immediately. Oh, and then up, he turns. Like, yeah, critical yeah. information, and I go like, "Wow!" Mm, so he was, was not nearly as formidable as they built him up to be. And that guy turned out to be the chink in the armor because the whole refrigerator thing would not have come up if he hadn't told him where to find these bodies sure, um, yeah and i i didn't feel like that was super earned i felt like it was sort of like they were rushing a little bit till the finish line um they're like all right have him torture this guy and he gives up everything and then he can he can wrap up the episode yeah that um, seemed awfully convenient yeah but i i was really looking forward to this character being more pronounced um last thing about kingpin um I believe he had a speech in, like, episode, like, what, three, maybe, about love is my prison, or, like, something like that, something <laughs> like that, to the love extent of that. Love is the perfect prison. Yeah. Uh, I, my, my, I was watching with my, with my dad, and he was just kind of rolling his eyes the whole time, and, like, this is really necessary, but, um, uh, Vanessa was, like, the whole his whole motivation, so how, how did that turn out? How did you think the, because we don't see Vanessa until, like, Near the end of the season, yeah. so I'm wondering if that uh, worked for you. 
You know, I was kind of underwhelmed with Vanessa this time around. I loved her in the first season because she was Mrs. Kingpin, but I think more believable. I felt like in this season, uh, she was giving us more... I don't know. She When she has that whole speech to Wilson talking, monologue rather, about how... Um, he's not being completely open with her and he's not letting her in the way she used to be and I guess like the way she expected to be. That was really interesting because that's exactly how I saw her. It was sort of like, okay, Vanessa's back and now make sure you just lock her up in, in this beautiful loft. Never let her leave. Don't let her do anything. Don't let her see anything when that's sort of not what, not what, the audience is accustomed to in terms of their relationship nor what she was what she was accustomed to in their relationship because we know that they're very much in love with each other but it sort of felt like their wedding was a little bit of a I don't know it, it was it was it was a setup for obviously for that like big culminating um point between Matt Kingpin Bullseye and you know Vanessa on the side but it just felt like that it just felt like Vanessa on the side which was sad, but it also made me advocate for her a little bit more and also agree with her when she was advocating for herself to be pulled into the details with Wilson a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was definitely an interesting development, like her wanting to her wanting to be in, you know? Mm-hmm. I felt like it was the start of a really great arc, but they didn't have the time to flush that out. I mean, right. um, so... When she initially came back and, and had all the body language, I was like, oh, of course, like she doesn't like him anymore. Like, they barely knew each other at the start. And um, then she had to, like, go into hiding for years at, like, the orders of this person. Um, you know, and now he just yanks her back and expects everything to be fine. Like, no, like, she doesn't like him. Um, and then it turned out that she actually, like, was, was craved more of the crime, like, the criminal underworld element. Um, and like ordered that dude's death. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. Like she's going to become like the real female kingpin, you know, like the, the Lord of the, his criminal empire when he's away or in jail or whatever. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Um, and, but like, you know, then it was over. Um, and I guess they're setting that up for a season four. Yeah. I mean that, that all happened at the end. So it's like, you don't have a lot of space at that point, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I, I wish that had more room to breathe because it felt really like edged in, but yeah, Uh, the wedding seemed more like a, I guess it was the culmination of his victory, right? Is that's the idea is like Mm. Kingpin had won and got to marry the woman he loves, but it felt more like a PR thing, Mm -hmm. like another step of his plan, um, rather than the culmination. So I don't know. I felt I felt like that was all a little muddled. But love, it's a perfect, <laughs> pr- um, perfect person. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we have not even talked about Foggy or Karen yet. But um, Karen, Karen, Karen. Um, Karen I do. Lot. I will need to go do other things eventually. Um, so. Hopefully these are slightly faster and we can talk about the main themes of the Yeah, season. yeah. Um, I don't know. The, the really quick, like, couple sentences about Foggy and Karen each, if you guys have anything. Sure. 
Um, I feel like this is kind of a loaded thing to say, but I, I, I don't really know if I see the the benefit of having an entire episode dedicated to Karen. I know that there were some details in there that were interesting, like her family dynamic and the fact that she has had such a depressing life, I guess, before this depressing part of her life. Um, and how, she, how she's just dealt with so much violence and, like, has always endured all of this violence. And, you know, we know that she's a small-town girl. These are all things that we pick up on. But I feel like dedicating an entire episode to her was a lot because, especially because it was, it felt like them trying to, them trying to justify her as a character and also give Deborah Ann Wall some kind of footing um, to operate that sort of shows and proves to the fans who had a problem with Karen that she has some kind of like acting chops and that she deserves to be there, which is kind of shitty. You know, the fact that she has to uh, stand up for herself and defend her own, her own abilities. But yeah, I feel like they, I feel like they, they took that farther than they needed to. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you need a whole episode just to say this to like reiterate things that we probably know about. Yeah. I mean, or like were, were implied, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. um, because you know, we we have that scene where like his her dad will not let her stay with him during like after the attack on the Bolton, like that. There are loads of things that uh, are possible. Like you can, you can take a, a few different stabs on like why that is and like why that dynamic is the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like yeah, good acting showcase for Deborah Ann Wall. You know, if she ever oh, yeah. needs more for her highly real, I guess. But like, yeah, <laughs> she she, was, she she did a good job that episode. And also, they had a character named Rhiannon, uh, named after Rhiannon from Marvel News Desk. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Rhiannon. And Shelby for having a character named after her in that freaking um, uh, like Fisk's like surveillance room. That woman's name was Shelby, so oh, that's fun. That's cute. Yeah, fun fact. Yeah, I I'm, I I sort of echo the same sentiments. I don't I, don't, I didn't love the uh, the backstory episode, um, although. I, I am still foggy on, um, no pun intended, on how they wanted like Karen to play into Matt's arc. Um, it seemed like at the end of the day, she just is a friend, and that oh. is the end of where that story thread goes. Um, but they sort of set her up to be like a foil to Matt. I thought they had a lot of screen time, um, much more than Foggy and Matt. Um, um, almost as much as Matt and Sister Maggie, um, and I don't know where that went. Other than she was a friend when he was being shitty. Hmm. I don't know. Um, she did get a lot more backstory and stuff, though. So cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I in no way think that Karen is a bad character, and. You know, I'm not I'm not one of those cynical dudes who's like quote unquote annoyed by her and her presence and right. um you know, I, I always think of like that one Stranger Things episode of in season two where, where it's just eleven and her goth buddies and people mm-hmm. complaining about that whole um 
uh, tangent and. You know, I I haven't really read the room. I don't know what people's reactions on that Karen episode is. Um, I thought it was fine. I just kind of wanted to get back to like, yeah, the real stuff. But uh, Foggy, on the other hand, was, was yeah. Go ahead. Was her? Uh, I didn't watch The Punisher. It's the only um, Netflix or only Marvel show that I have not seen. Um, and I know Karen was in that. Mm-hmm. I assume that like something about her brother was in that episode that felt like something that had already been introduced that they were just not i yet. don't remember actually i don't I, yeah um and I, I saw that so i don't even remember anything about the brother but um okay okay it felt like they were just being like um you know like i was accused of killing my brother you know like from the punisher that that thread and, and like, <laughs> <laughs> i don't that recall casual. you might be right but um I'll, I'll have to check that out because i don't remember but um uh, Foggy Bear. Um, I love Marcy. Marcy's very good. She was the least uh, irritating uh, moral She felt like a background character in... Yeah, yeah, precisely. Yeah. He, like, Marcy felt more like a background character in the in the first few seasons, but, like, she's, like, a very supportive, significant other this time around, and I really yeah. appreciated that. And she actually does propel the story forward, yeah. because had she not mm-hmm. been like, hey, you should run for office, Foggy mm-hmm. wouldn't have run for office. Yeah. And, if, and if her papers hadn't been out, Foggy wouldn't have found that one detail that would have helped that helped them bring down Fisk. Yeah. Um, yeah, good on them for making her a real character this time. <laughs> they're also very cute. I really like their dynamic. Yeah, no, a they're, they're a good couple, and, you know, Foggy seems to be doing alright for himself, like, he's, you know, I, I liked his epiphany at the end, he was like, yeah, I just, want, I just kind of want to help regular people now, again, and, um, this, you know, he, he, he gets a lot of scenes to himself, where he talks a lot, and, you know, I, uh, again, some cynical people are, are kind of annoyed by Foggy, but, like, I've always kind of liked Foggy, you know, he's, he he kind of grounds things, you know, compared to all, like all the all of the angsty nonsense of Matt Murdock, and um, it, it it was nice seeing his family life. Um, yeah, seeing the contrast. And um, I thought he was. Um, if there was a character that was like too good, it was Foggy in this season, um, and it it sort of felt like they were playing him. We've talked before about like how. Um, Mac in Agents of Shield is like the one who always advocates the right thing, you know, no matter no matter what. This is um, us. I felt like Foggy was that in this season, yeah. but he wasn't irritating to me because I think he was just so damn cheerful about it. Like he was so excited to do the right thing. He wasn't angsty in any way. He was like, I know, I can run for DA, and then you know, he was just so optimistic. <laughs> Um, I I couldn't not like him. It was impossible. There was no. Yeah. yeah. I was defenseless against his charm. Yeah. No. I I thought he really worked. I just wish that uh, other people had the same appreciation that we did. But uh, screw him. <laughs> Foggy is good. Um, I will say that in his debate between um, him and Matt, sort of have this this thing throughout the season that's like, does the system work or does it not work? Uh, right, as far sure. as I can tell, Matt was correct that the system does not work. <laughs> yeah, because I what, think we know it, from it real really, life that the system doesn't work. It really takes a man in a mask beating people up through the hallways um, and punching him in the face repeatedly, like 
to finally bring Fist down. Like, nothing that they did with the legal system worked. So, the only criticism I have of Foggy is he was wrong, and that everything is broken, and you can't rely on the law. But, besides that, he was great. I mean, we we all have our, like, I'm sure amongst the three of us, we have our own qualms with our real-life justice system, but I do not think anyone is as overpowered in real life as Wilson Fisk was. Mm Mm-hmm. I think so. I don't know. <laughs> you wouldn't know, though, right? Oh, that's right. Oh, man. I, that's all I'm going to say on that subject. This is too, That's too big of a can of worms to... Yeah, no. <laughs> Let's talk about George Soros and uh, <laughs> sell some brain supplements. Anyway. <laughs> I feel like... Do you know Blake Tower is like a main character in that he is in the main credits? Yeah, really? I didn't understand. Yeah, because he but was in season two, and it's like I guess in. he's still on the payroll in season three, so they had yeah. to justify him being on the titles by just like, oh Did yeah, they, just to this DNA race that, thing. Though? Or they were what? hoping that people were paying enough attention in season two to remember him. So I don't remember anything Blake Tower did in season two. I remember his, his, uh, he was the assistant DA, and I remember the DA who was a lady who got shot up, and that's it. I, that's all I remember. Uh, and he showed up in one episode of Luke Cage when, like, things were happening in the club, and he, he was with, with the cops figuring out what was happening, but he didn't, he, he, he doesn't really seem to have much of a character. Um, yeah, I would agree. I would also say that I didn't, I didn't feel like he was much of a character in this season either. Yeah. Because things were just kind of happening to him. He wasn't really taking action. You know, yeah. you had... Uh, he really existed to to help characterize Foggy, I think. And um, serve as another roadblock for Matt. Um, which I think was helpful. But other than that, I feel like he wasn't particularly um, helpful or important in driving the plot in any other ways. So not yeah. to say not to say that I feel like we could have done without him, but more like, yeah, he didn't do too much. So I feel neither here nor there about him. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, like the the system that he represents, like that is one of the major pillars, like one of the major estates that's called of this whole system. And uh, I guess you know, there's not a lot of time to handle that when there's so much going on. Uh, you know, I like. Th- like the actor's name is Steven Ryder, which is a cool name, and I guess he's uh, still getting sure. those paychecks. So good for him, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so let's transition into kind of the more uh, since we're talking about the justice system and whatnot. Let's talk a little bit Great. more about the politics. And I feel like Nadim, the character of Nadim, like just really inherently uh, captures the whole idea that I think Eric Olson had of. Um, using fear as a weapon, mm-hmm. because uh, what, what was it that Dawson said that he it, this season is about um, combating fear and the narcissistic tyrants who weaponize it. And oh, who's a narcissistic tyrant today who uses fear? Like you know, it's it's fairly oh, obvious. Wah, wah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, I I th- they're always like problems with how law enforcement is depicted in um media you know like sometimes it's just like maybe a little too idealistic maybe it's too 
Um, oh, there are only a few bad eggs, and it isn't really going. It doesn't really. Not too much fiction delves into like system systemic, um, you know, corruption or just like uh, um, otherwise troublesome aspects. But I thought it was really refreshing to just see this F- this federal agent who is struggling financially, and it's just like in he's um. You know, everyone's a bit desperate in this show, but, like, uh, his was, like, entirely based on this very relatable issue. Like, he had, um, basically, like, he he lost a lot, um, keeping his sister-in-law in, alive due to, like, healthcare costs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he just keeps getting deeper and deeper into this terrible situation. Yeah. Because of just, like, how desperate he is, like, just because of, like, his, his status and, like... All of the, um, all of the, the bureaucracy involved and whatnot, and I just, it just felt increasingly bad for this person. And and even <clears throat> when you feel like he's going to get his time to, when when you feel like he's going to come up for air out of all of it, you know, in that that one scene in the kitchen where he's where I at least felt like he was finally going to get his day and he was finally going to get the chance to come clean and take care of his family and be done and then bang literally thrown into a whole other drama i was rooting for nadim so hard and i think he was probably one of my favorite newer characters and i want to say like one of my favorite newer characters from like all the marvel tv shows because he was introduced in a really normal way as if we'd kind of already been chilling with him for a little bit his backstory wasn't too complicated we were immersed into his family life pretty immediately right off the bat so that wasn't too much to grapple with or like try to understand and then so I feel like I was quickly rooting for him and I was I was very very early on understanding where he stood and kind of like seeing where I personally wanted him to go and then to get so into his character and his family life emotionally and to just have him torn and ripped around, like, oh man, God, Nadim is great, and I think I think his name is Jay, the actor. He yep. did great too. Uh, oh, jeez, is that his name? Let me look that up again. Yeah, Ray Nadim's the character, but uh, what the uh, Jay Ali, I think, is the. Yes, I think yeah. that sounds right. Yeah, yeah he was fantastic. Um, I was watching the AOL build for this uh, for this season. And it's really, really good. The The host did a good job of, like, trying to dig up um, dig up certain themes. And, like, he has Eric Olson talk a lot about his intentions for the season. So I feel like for me, in, in preparing for, uh, in anticipation for the season to come out on Netflix, I watched that. And that helped me get properly okay. pumped. Yep. As an aside. Yeah. Um, yeah, forward that to me at some point, but anyway, (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, you have a, um, you have a struggling upper middle class Indian American family, you know, like that is, uh, not exactly a demographic you see in these Netflix shows a lot. (laughs) No. Um, so I, I thought that was, um, that was a bit refreshing, I think, to see. And yeah. I, I think what I liked about Ray Nadim is that for the whole first few episodes, he did exactly what Fisk wanted of him, but he thought he was doing a good job the whole time. Like, he was in trouble, but he, was, he wasn't he was corrupt until very late. He was, mm-hmm. 
following the rules and like trying to get ahead the right way. He was just desperate. And uh, even so, he was the only one who showed like an iota of guilt. Okay, well, um... <sighs> so, we can talk about how uh, the whole weaponization aspect of uh, Fisk turning Daredevil into public enemy number one. Yeah. And uh, but one, one, one of the many, you know, and uh, we, ha- we had a John Oliver episode last week to kind of remind us about, like, the tactics of authoritarianism. And um, one of them is just basically creating enemies. Right. Um, so to have, so to basically, like, have um, quote-unquote Daredevil attack a newspaper publication and a church, you know, both for story reasons, but, like, those were very, like, eerily similar to, like, real-life events. And I, 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 fa- I found out, like, doing, um, you know, the most basic research possible, but, like, the, the uh, Capitol Gazette shooting in Baltimore, mm. um, that was at the end of June, whereas Daredevil Season 3 finished filming the middle of June. Um, so I was like, oh my god, like, oh, like, that's, I thought that was, like, I thought that would have been, like, directly based off of that, but I was like, that was just kind of a coincidence, but, you know, like, in today's climate, like, journalists are, like, philosophically under attack, but, like, at that point, like, they were literally under attack, and having that, and, like, watching that, like, just was just so reminiscent of that news story from June, I'm just wondering if you had, if you, if either of you felt something similar watching that or if it didn't even occur to you i didn't know anything about the capital gazette shooting which is a shame because i live in maryland um but on another note i feel like that scene stuck with me because of the fact that journalists are essentially under attack you know right now those who want to report what they believe to be the truth or those who are actually going um, to great lengths to find sources and to bring them out is something that I found incredibly commendable. And like watching Karen continue to get her hands dirty is something that I really appreciate about her character and have always appreciated about her. And then to see her and all of her colleagues swept into this um, very dire situation was really scary, but also very realistic, which made that whole scene so much more emotional for me. Right. And I, I think it shows um, just how grounded uh, this show really is and how the writers really pay attention to, to realism as much as you can in a show like this. Um, they would sort of depict this thing on screen and have that actually happen in real life um, later on. Um, I, I think it just speaks to, um, you know, how in tune they were with the current climate, yeah. unfortunately, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like prophetic in any way because like that, such such a tragedy like you know has has happened in other different places in the world, and uh, but the fact that like you know even at like a surface level, um, that they're able to kind of have their finger on the pulse and recognize uh you know journalists as one of those important pillars of our entire system mm-hmm. and to have a uh targeted attack on that as a plot point and it's 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 very 
it's it's very disturbing and graphic depiction of it. Like, you know, the lights are off and like you see like the bloody results of it. And then there's that mm-hmm. one shot where you see the cell phones in evidence bags and you see like yeah. family members not knowing what happened to them and like trying to reach out to them. Uh, which was just chilling. Yeah, we uh, chatted about that shot in our, our group chat. I mean, that was... I don't think I've ever seen that in, in media, but mm-hmm. I'm 100% sure that's, you know, a real thing that right. happens. And I, I don't... I have no idea, like, what inspired the writers to put that in there, but that was... For me, that was the most, like, grounded and chilling shot of the whole thing was just the phones going off. Yep. Um, and then to have like the um, the, the whole sequence of Dex trying to like basically murder Karen in a church um, uh-huh. uh, was and like it's this very like atmospheric brooding scene where like everything's kind of red and devilish let's call it yeah. and then Father Lantum dies um, and then having the uh, like. Ha- uh, having the Tree of Life shooting like two weeks after that was just like made me think back to that, and I was like, "Oh man, that does not like it, it's it's also a weirdly almost prophetic thing." But again, like that is like you know ch- that happened in Charleston. That happened in um, you know I probably can't think of any other examples on the top of my head, but that is for sure happened of like religious institutions like literally like being under attack. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I I don't know. It, it just made sense, like, thematically in the show. And uh, although I do wonder, like, logistically and, like, PR-wise, like, if if they planned to release the season, like, two or three weeks after the original date, like, would they have, like, delayed it as a result the same way they did with The Punisher? <laughs> and uh, I, I'd be willing to bet that they would have. But yeah. um, that's beside the point, because that obviously didn't happen. Right. Um... But I don't know. I mean, how did you feel with the the imagery in 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 that scene, like the um, like a daredevil esque character attacking a church, and like you know, blood being spilled in that sequence? I thought that it did a really good job of showing it because the you know bullseye daredevil is a very good foil for daredevil himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that it, it showed this sort of if Daredevil went farther into, you know, his it, renouncing his faith uh, farther into the violence, into the whatever, you could sort of see him one day if there was a bad guy who owned a church or something going in, storming into a church and, and killing someone. Um, and it was sort of like, this is what he's trying to avoid is this exact persona um, that's you know, walking down that, that aisle. It was also very, um, I thought that it, it helped bring him back a little bit by being like, um, you know, his, his priest was attacked and killed. You know, his church was invaded, which was his home at the time. His friends under threat, um, mm-hmm. sort of made him, uh, by definition, oppose everything that that being represented. Right. Right. The, right sort of the heresy the um faithlessness the the violence he helped he was pushed away from that by by that moment in in my opinion mm-hmm. yeah i think uh i think that scene was him um being incredibly under attack in 
in a number of different ways, but I also appreciated how with it being so timely, it kind of gave like a sort of homegrown terrorist feel um, where like, I guess the audience isn't really expecting anyone or no one, we never expect these attacks to happen, right? Um, for perspective, CMU is in Pittsburgh and we were on campus actually the weekend of the Pittsburgh uh, synagogue shooting, which is actually right up the street from, in the same neighborhood as our school, and right up the street from where I live on campus. Um, being being here, we like nobody in Squirrel Hill thought that anything like this would happen, which I'm sure is exactly how all of these things happen. And the fact that it was depicted in a show, um, and especially like targeting Catholicism, which is the root of a lot of social conflict in the world, like the history of the world, mm. um, just put, gave like a really interesting modern perspective. So I really, I really appreciated that scene, one, because it was scary and it was like a, another really good culminating point for Matt and all of the pieces of his life together fighting each other. But it also was a, a good mirror or representation of how the U.S. is, I guess, or how, like, terrorism is. Right. Um, let's see. We had two... I think we're losing Thomas right now. but uh... Yeah, yeah. I, I am going to have to drop off. Um, luckily, my wrap-up doesn't, doesn't take a lot of listing off handles. But uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. Yeah, um, for sure. It was a pleasure. Hopefully, I'll be less time crunch next time. All right. See you guys. Okay, later. Just get that audio to me. <laughs> okay. Uh, but anywho, um, so let's talk about. Um, it, so we we mentioned like how the show depicted these um, targeted attacks on institutions and pillars of our society of the system that we kind of depend on. Uh, perhaps Matt Murdock would argue that we depend on it too much so he is kind of depicted as um the one to guide everyone through these fearful times mm -hmm. so if eric olsen says hey the season's about conquering fear uh how did fear get conquered at the end did it get conquered i guess is my real question i feel like you can never really conquer fear mm -hmm. and that might be part of the argument that the show is making that mm -hmm. When one, when one terror is taken care of, another one literally opens its eyes, right? With Dex opening his eyes and we see, you know, the zoom in on the pupil and he's now bullseye. Um, yeah, that's so Raven zoom in. Yeah, the <laughs> it was, and like the same effect on the eyeball and everything. <laughs> he just um, had a vision. Yeah, it was, uh, I feel like that was, that was really um, a really interesting metaphor. And being able to, um, I sort of lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? What did you ask me? Uh, did, was fear conquered? Yeah, okay. I think that the fear of Wilson, Wilson Fisk will always be there. Um, we've seen how well connected he is. We've seen how far Kingpin's reach can go. I don't think it would be fair to say that, well, now that Fisk has been taken care of, he can be uh, crossed off the list. We have nothing else to worry about because now we have to worry about all of the debris from his doings. And that still 
involves a lot of fear. And there's also that residual, um, there are like other residual effects emotionally, right? Like Nadim's family and other people, like the families of other, um, of other FBI agents who had been turned or, uh, or things like that. Sort of like this idea that this terror could lurk, lurk in your backyard or it could be, he could be hiding in plain sight. And there is no idea where it could end or how far it could reach. And that is the basis of fear, which I think very nicely drove this season and should probably lead into the next one. Yeah, yeah. Um, So not necessarily conquering fear, but kind of having a better grasp on how to... um, how to combat it, how to how to deal with it, how to um, not let it get the best of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like, like superhero fiction is, it's fantasy. It is, um, it's basically taking real life problems and creating heroes that perhaps are not realistic, but are able to combat it um yeah it's 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 tough to look to superhero fiction for for answers on how to confront real life problems because um the whole basis of fantasy is that like it's you know it's not exactly yeah um so um yeah escapist in that like it's still it's still like a real issue but the the solution or like it's it's like a happier ending than you might expect from real life. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know things are not as perfect as they are in the show. Uh, they're not as absurd as they are in the show. Like I bet I, I bet Donald Trump wishes he were Wilson Fisk. Like like he um, probably thinks he is Wilson Fisk. Probably like <laughs> like the, the 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 ability to. Um, Sign command orders. <laughs> yeah, com- yeah, com- commands people. And they are just complicit. They they just do what they are told. Yes, you know, like that yeah. that authoritarian vibe. You throw your name behind somebody, and they're instantly in the running in the race. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> people were yelling, "Lock him up!" Mm-hmm. Outside of <laughs> outside that. of uh, I guess we'll call it Fisk Tower. Maybe <laughs> it is like uh, Fisk Tower. Yeah, uh, everything's white instead of gold for her Wilson Fisk, but um. Uh, Wilson Fisk does not have a toupee. <laughs> um, but it, it's interesting to see the parallels there because, like, I, I'm not, like, I don't, I do not believe that Donald Trump was behind the Capitol Gazette shooting or the Tree of Life shooting. Right. But I do firmly believe that his rhetoric, uh, was, was very intimately, uh, responsible for those attacks. Like, the fact that he is publicly, um, Calling journalists the enemy of the people, you know. I'm surprised mm-hmm. Fisk straight up didn't just say that in the show. <laughs> and uh, you know, the ha- having a bunch of people in his inner circle who are um, ha- who have been known to say like anti-Semitic things or like or, or deal with those kinds of people. Um, granted, in Daredevil, those were like very specific plot points. Like he was targeting individual people in those uh, buildings, mm-hmm. but like it is. It is not a coincidence that, like, um, that it was a news 
institution and a religious institution that were attacked. Um, and that, like, journalists and a holy man were the casualties of those attacks. Um, so, yeah, I guess Daredevil tries to show that, you know, maybe that'll work in the short term because people really did believe it was Daredevil and, you know, um... We're still not like they they figured it out that you know they figured out the truth, but you know, might as well get rid of Daredevil at that point if we can't yeah, decide but, but if like, he's it, good or bad. The, yeah, but like in the real world, like marginalized communities who are like the scapegoats for this kind of thing, like mm-hmm. they will not be, um, they they will they they won't be like oh they're they're all innocent open and shot case like in Daredevil because right. that's a larger real life issue that is a lot more subtle and nuanced than in a television show right um so yeah I mean obviously none of us are looking to Daredevil as our gospel for how <laughs> to conduct ourselves in the United States but um I thought it was a very good approach to that story. Um, it's it's a good like modernization of Daredevil, I think, and uh, it's it made me reflect a little more. It made, it helps me put things in perspective, like real life things. You know, it's not like you know the the church scene from Daredevil taught me about the Tree of Life. Like no, like that's it. Just helped me like kind of um, organize my thoughts a little bit and yeah. like see Process things from a different things. yeah. So. Uh, especially since, like, you know, I I went to CMU, like, the, the school where you guys, where you are right now, so that deeply affected me, like, seeing how I passed by that synagogue a lot, that I, like, was in Squirrel Hill a lot. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, I, this is, this is gonna be in the, the article that's going to be read before this, but, um... It's really hard in this day and age to to be affected by news because so much of it happens so often. Yeah. Especially when it's just like a push notification on your phone. Yeah, 24-hour news cycle. And yeah. every time, it is always some other shocking thing. You kind of mm-hmm. just become numb to the shock. Yeah, it just becomes like, uh, oh, it's another one of those. Exactly. So... Uh, I, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I, I think, um, I, I hope that this, you know, maybe it's not fear that we are combating in real life. Maybe it's just that numbness. Maybe it's that indifference because of how frequent these things are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe my, maybe the last thing I'll say here is that maybe it's a good call to kind of wake up and engage, you know, like vote, voting can only do so much. Um, like, I am very happy that a lot of people did vote this year. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was proud to have voted, but, uh, at the same time, like, there are, um, there are a variety of ways that, like, people can, uh, directly act upon these things. Um, like, I think us talking about a TV show might be the bare minimum, but, uh, right. <laughs> But if you were like, to watch, if you were to watch season three of Daredevil, you could yeah. get a little bit of a better understanding, as you were saying, um, of the, the things that are happening around us. And, like, maybe mm-hmm. it'll interest you. Uh, maybe some audience member would watch this season and say, like, oh, I wonder how much of this was real. And then they would be led to the Capital Gazette. And then that, that would right. lead them to something else, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. Which I feel like is what is 
really important about like storytelling and trying to model the realm, the world uh, after the real world is that it has to have some kind of similar um, similar situations so that the characters, protagonists, and also the audience members can maneuver through it together. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, basically, that's that's basically what art is. By the end of it all, you know, it's a reflection on our society. Um, so good on you, Daredevil season three, for you know, again, using the phrase a lot, but keeping your finger on the pulse and um, and being entertaining. You know, yeah, no, it was a it was a good season of television. Absolutely. Um, I I I can't imagine they're gonna cancel it, but even if they did, like it, even it was a very like like the way things ended with them writing the name on the napkin. You know, it was yeah. Um, it feels it like a fresh a, start. It was a nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. I could see the show ending that way, even though I don't want it to end that way. Mm-hmm. Especially when we have uh, that's so Dexter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's so bullseye. Yeah. Oh dear lord. Oh man. <laughs> Someone make that into a Photoshop. Um, yes. Yeah. So I think that'll do it for us uh, tonight. Um, Apologies for some of the haphazardness of this episode because uh, Thomas had a fire alarm go off and then uh, that delay caused him to run out of time and he had to leave us. So, <laughs> uh, fun stuff all around. I mean, Sabrina, you left us last time. I did. Yeah. It's only fair that Thomas did this time. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I guess that kind of makes sense. But, um, yeah, Sabrina, where can people find you on Twitter? On Twitter, you can find me at S-A-B-S-C-L-A-R-K-E. That's at Sabs Clark. Mm-hmm. And on Instagram, you can find me at Sabrina.m4v, just like the video file. Hell yeah. Uh, you can find me at Compenderizer. You can follow Marvel News Desk at Marvel News Desk. Uh, you can donate to our Patreon. Uh, Steve Maltor is responsible for the jingle. Charles Villanueva is responsible for the logo and also our beautiful YouTube thumbnails. Uh, I have no clue what the next episode's gonna be. We are very behind on stuff, so, uh, it'll be a surprise, I guess. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I may be on the show notes. I'll have to figure something out by then, so check the show notes. But as I'm recording this, I have no clue what episode 27 will be about, so... <laughs> next week to see whatever we come up with. See you later. Bye, everybody.